Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. We are continuing in our brief journey through the, what, the passage that is called the Beatitudes. This is what Jesus taught in the well, in the teaching that is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I, I think I want to start by reminding you one thing about this passage in Scripture that we are referring to in Matthew 5. Let's not make the mistake of regarding these statements as commands. Oftentimes, we come up and say, well, blessed are fill in the blank, and well, I want to be blessed, so therefore, that's my command. Well, I can understand how that may be viewed that way, but I also understand that this is not a section where God is commanding us and saying, be this way or else. So we don't want to make that mistake. So then what does this say? These are not commands, but they're descriptions. This segment is a description. What is a description of? It's a description of the kingdom. It's a description of the citizens of that kingdom. It's a description of you and I, the way God is working in us. And that makes a big difference because if you think of that as a command, you may be tempted to try to rise up. You may be tempted to play religion, in other words. Try to rise up to God by trying to deserve his blessing or his love by being something that by nature, neither you or I, by ourselves, left to ourselves, can ever be. But if you look at it as a description, then the whole picture changes, doesn't it? Because if you look at it as descriptive, then this is God telling you and me what he's doing in us. He's telling you and me his work, the work that he's working out in us, and the way that we are going to be transformed by his work in us. Now that changes the picture because it takes us away from trying to qualify from that blessing. It tells us that we are blessed right, in Christ, because God is transforming us. God is changing us. And here it is described the way that God is transforming us, the way he is changing us. Now, of course, I don't want to hang on to dear old life and not want to change, because I don't think that would help. Although I, that would never stop the love of God. But that certainly would not make things easier for me, would it? Imagine for a second that I'm in a conveyor belt. And that conveyor belt is the love of God. How much effort does it take to go against it? Quite a lot. But where do I get? Nowhere. <laughs> if I try to, to go against the conveyor belt, I... I just don't get anywhere. I put a lot of effort, but no result. On the other hand, if I say, Lord, thank you so much for your love and your blessing, and I run along the conveyor belt, now I'm getting somewhere. 
I'm participating with God in his work in me. And that work in me now is producing the fruit because I am basically allowing that fruit to be born and produced. I am going along with it instead of resisting it. And so the benefit that I experience is obviously greater. This passage also describes the nature of conversion. Conversion means being converted, being transformed, being changed from one thing to the other. And we'll see a little more about that. Now, the concept of purity of this particular verse, verse 8 of Matthew 5, is not new at all. Since the very beginning, God has stressed the need for purity. During the Old Testament, it was expressed in the symbol of ceremonial practices that included abstaining from anything that would pollute or contaminate a, a person, ceremonially at least. And it marked a clear distinction between the purity of the people of God, or supposed to be purity of the people of God, and the uncleanness of the Gentiles that were following their own ways. So imagine for a second being a Jew listening to Jesus as he's saying these words to the crowd. As soon as you hear him saying, blessed are the pure he adds more to that, but as soon as you hear those words, blessed are the pure, bing, immediately a connection is made in your mind. What is that connection? <clears throat> well, they would relate to the concept of purity immediately because of the insistence of the Old Testament as well as the Jewish tradition on cleanness or purity in the ceremonial law. But what would they understand when they heard the next word? Blessed are the pure in heart. Now with that picture of the concept of purity that they brought with them from the old days, that would really make them think. It would make them think about, oh, wait a second, the same way I'm careful about the outside and the body, I need to be careful about the inside, the heart. clean, undefiled, not only in the body or ceremonially, but also in the heart, means that their heart should be uncontaminated by anything that would defile them. In one word, sin. Obviously, as God transforms us, he removes sin from us. He removes the attitude of sin from us. We are in the process of that sanctification, in the process of that conversion. He transforms us from people who are after sin, devoted to sin, enjoying sin, to people who are away, different. People who don't enjoy sin anymore, people they abhor sin, people who enjoy the presence of the righteousness of God instead. But what are the things that defile the heart? Well, of course, we can say any form of sin is included, but the statement that Jesus gave us here seems to point to the desires and the purposes of an individual. In one word, we can say the motives of the heart seem to be indicated here. And we'll see a little more about that in just a moment. So, when you look at it this way, 
a person may do all the right things physically or ceremonially and still have an impure heart. And that would be the case if the motives are wrong. Look, for example, at the Pharisee that helps a poor person. He is a Pharisee helping a poor man. And yet Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't do like they do. Why? Because the Pharisee will show off. Hey, look, people, how good and righteous I am. I'm helping this poor person. Here, look, people. Look, look, look. Here it is. Have this morsel of bread. Well, he may have done the right thing physically, but his heart was unclean, impure, not right before God. The desires are corrupt. So let's start by looking at the heart. What is the heart? Well, in Scripture, the heart is not the pump that <clears throat> pumps the blood throughout the human body. Um, that's a pump, okay? The heart in Scripture describes, is used, it's one of the several words that is used to, to indicate the inner person. It shares a field of meaning with terms like spirit, mind, soul, conscience, inner self, things like that. And as such, heart denotes that immaterial and willful part of the human being, of the human nature, that allows us to define ourselves as individual. The heart is what enables me to say, me, to be aware of my own individuality and existence, as well as my own choices and decisions and the, and the will that I exert or I or I use in every moment of my life. And it is that component, if you want to put it that way, uh, for lack of a better term, of the, moral, of the human nature that is responsible for the moral choices and decisions that we make. Um, that's how we read in Proverbs 4.23, for example, that we are to watch over our heart with all diligence because from it flow all the springs of life. Uh, interesting, this metaphor of the springs of life. We're not talking about rivers. We're talking about the spring. We're not talking about the, the outcome of the river or the lake. We're talking about the spring that will generate the river and then eventually feed the lake. So the heart is the spring of life. It's from the heart that your life comes forth. So here it is. You have a corrupt heart. What is your life going to be like? Corrupt. Why? Because it comes from a polluted spring. If you have a spring of crystal clear, pure, wonderful drinking water, wow, that's amazing. You can use the water and you can drink it. You can, you can use it for cultivating. You can use it to, to water your fields and, and raise your crops. And It's a blessing in every way. But if you have a polluted source... If the water at the source, at the spring, is poisonous, then everywhere the water touches is, is killed. It's, it's distorted, is damaged, polluted. The heart, then, is the initiator of our moral choices. It has to do with our self-consciousness and our purposeful behavior. It is a moral compass, in other words, that directs the course of 
our action, but also of our intellect, of the way we think. So let's not confuse the heart with the intellect. Actually, the heart goes a step deeper than intellect because it's what motivates our intellectual functions. It can be honest. You can say, I, uh, you know, a, a man of a honest, honest heart or her heart is perfect or single in determination, unique in a, in a particular direction and given to that direction and nothing else. And that's not in terms of stubbornness, but in proper positive determination. Could be a wise heart. Could be a meek heart. But left to itself, the human heart, however, well, we know that by nature we are hostile to God, as Scripture clearly points out, right? But by nature, our heart is defined in Scripture as calloused, stubborn, of stone. That means insensitive, not soft, not understanding, but insensitive. Deceitful, above all things in Jeremiah, remember? and evil. So what do you suppose with that in mind, knowing that the heart can be really good and pure, right? But by nature, it is corrupted. What would you say would be the greatest need for the heart? And I hope that the word that comes to your mind is redemption. We need our hearts to be redeemed. We need our hearts to be transformed. And that's why God promised in Joel that the hearts of stone, the insensitive hearts of individuals who may be okay ceremonially, but not in their deepest nature, will be turned into hearts of flesh. Sensitive. Malleable. Changeable. Now, Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7 says, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. <clears throat> so how can our heart be redeemed? And well, the answer is we need to turn it back to God. We need to go along with his work of change, of transformation, of redemption, of sanctification that is taking place within us. Look at the way David approached it after his deal with Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, David really messed up. David sinned and sinned greatly in that occasion. But notice as he turned around after he was confronted by the prophet, prophet Nathan about his sin Notice the way David responded and how he humbled himself. And in prayer, he said to God, God, in Psalm 51.10, please create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Notice the request of David. 
David did not say, God, look at my heart. I'm changing my heart. I am making my heart clean now. I know I messed up, but I'm making my heart clean now. He didn't say that. He couldn't. His spirit was wandering in all sorts of different directions. That's why he even got messed up with, with Bathsheba. It was because of his lust that he ended up getting into that mess of sin. So his request to God is, God, please create a clean heart in me. You see the difference? It's not David saying, look how good I am. Look, I'm turning around. It's David saying, Lord, I can't. Lord, I am helpless, but you are not. I am helpless, but you are not. So please create in me a clean heart. Give me a steadfast spirit. A steadfast spirit is a spirit that is set in a direction, and that direction is God and is not moving from God. I remember later in the book of Acts, David was called a man after God's own heart. Ah, that's interesting. A man after God's own heart. Why? Because the heart of David was changed. Changed by what? By the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God in him, by the presence of the heart of God in him. And I think at this time when David is on, the, on, on his face, bowing down and worshiping God and, and trembling because of his sin before God, that David made a choice and made a decision, not my heart, but your heart in me. Referring to God, of course. Now the good news then is that the heart can be renewed and transformed by Christ even if our body decays in time. You know, we, young people think they can live forever. We have a few of them. They don't think about those things, thank God, because they can enjoy life in the meantime. But some of us are beginning to experience life in a different way. We're not looking at, okay, when I grow up and I become big and strong, I'll do this and that. No, we start thinking, okay, now what's going to happen the next time when I lose this or I lose that? And, and how am I going to cope with the deterioration of this or that? And it would seem so overwhelming to us because all that we sometimes think about is the physical. But look at this. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we don't lose heart, but... Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Regardless of whether the body is destroyed or decaying, our inner man, the heart, is renewed day by day. So yes, physically I may get older and older, but spiritually I can get younger and younger and stronger and more dedicated and more firmly based on God until the one day when God is going to finally going to say, okay, Luciani, you've had enough of that body. Time for you to have a new one. How's that? <laughs> As what people say, yeah. Can I claim my lifetime warranty now <laughs> and, and have a new one? The time will come. The time will come. Now, now that we understand a little more about the heart, what about the purity of heart? Think of that 
inner self, think of that spring of life, of, of, of the waters of life, think of that source of our attitudes, of our choices, of our moral decisions as being unsoiled, unmixed, unpolluted. That means it has to do with what we fill our minds with and what we value as being important and necessary. If I spend the entire day watching porn, watching crime, enjoying the evil of certain games, do you think that my heart is going to be filled with good stuff and it's going to be a pure heart? I sure hope you say no, because otherwise we have a problem. We need to talk for a few more hours here. What Jesus said, what we fill the heart with is what determines what we respond like. You know, think of, think of your heart as being a cistern. The more polluted water you put in there, the worse it gets. But in a way, if I have 100 gallons of pure crystal water, because you see, sometimes we, we lose perspective. Okay, let, let, me, let me help you to regain that perspective in terms of what may be damaging to us. We think I got a big heart. There are so many things in my heart. I am right in so many different ways. I, I'm able to follow God in so many different ways. God has blessed me in so many different ways. Whoa, start watching out because that sounds like a Pharisee that we were talking about before. But let's ignore that for a quick moment, just for the sake of argument. Let's ignore that for a quick moment. And let's get back to that. You know, God has blessed me so much, we think, with, with a heart that is for him. And if I spend these five minutes doing something filthy... It may not be such a big deal. I mean, after all, it's only five minutes. It's only a moment. It's only a look. It's only a thought. It's only this. It's only whatever it is. Fill in the blank. So let's take that for a second. Let's say you have a thousand-gallon tank worth of heart. And now it's pure, crystal-clean water. Of course, I'm exaggerating. But, but let's assume. Again, for the sake of argument, let's give you every benefit of a doubt. Now take a, a, an eyedropper, you know? You know those things? You pick up, pick up some liquid to drop it and fill it with sewage water. All right? And drop it in your 1,000 gallon tank. Is your 1,000 gallon tank pure, uncontaminated? Ouch. You now have contamination. By definition, that water is now contaminated. So goes the concept of the five minutes. So goes the concept of a single thought, of a single look, or whatever it is. You see, it is inconsistent with what God is doing in us. It is trying to run against that conveyor belt. It's trying to go against the way God is shaping us. It's resisting God, not participating with him in his work in us. And it's destructive. And once we are contaminated, then contaminated things come out. It's out of the impurity of our heart that the sin proceeds. You can't say ever, well, yeah, I committed adultery, my, my heart was pure in my intent. 
Yeah, right. Tell me something else. And yet we hear that. Oh yeah, I prostituted myself, but my heart was clean and intent. I even heard one day off, oh, kind of like one day I even heard a person say, yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone to bed with him, but I was trying to share Christ with him. I'm thinking, you know, you just put a lot of filth and dirt and shame on the name of Christ. And you think that's going to make things better? And you think you're going to have it easier? And sure enough, the, way, the reason why I was talking with that person is because that relationship went kapoom and, and, and a number of other ones were kapoom as well in, in, in addition to the quote-unquote conversion of the other person. It's crazy. People can justify things, the horrible things, in, 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 in so many different ways. We all can and the fact is that you and I are all capable of doing that. That's why we have these reminders. That's why we have this, these ideas that God is sharing with us. Say, look, I am doing a good work in you. Please do me a favor. Go along with it. Don't resist it. Don't go against me because I love you relentlessly. I'm not going to change because you try to resist me. I will continue to love you no matter what you do. A pure heart is a heart that is cleansed, purged, and forgiven. I think by now we all know that none of us has a real pure heart by nature, right? And I think that every single one of us needs that forgiveness, that cleansing, that purging. But thank God we are purified in Christ. Thank God we have that purification occurring and taking place in us through Christ. Through his birth, life, death, resurrection. He has redeemed this world. He has redeemed us. A pure heart also means a holy heart. Having a single purpose, and that is the glory of God. And that has to do with the motive for which we make the choices that we make and the things that we do. Because, you know, we could say, oh no, I don't want to mess up myself with that because I want to be a nice person. I want to be liked. Or, oh boy, if the congregation knew what I've done, Man, they will all run out of the door. So I don't want to mess up. So I'm not going to do this. But you see, what's the motive? What's the motive behind that? It's selfishness. It's all about me, 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 me. And what I get out of it. It may be the right things externally. It may be the right actions <clears throat> physically. But it's that still the contaminated heart that is moved by selfishness, self-centeredness. It is a heart, in other words, that is not yet quite in that area surrendered to Christ and to the Holy Spirit. All right, so we come quite a way. What does it look like then to have or to be pure in heart? What is what God, God is working out in us look like? <clears throat> First of all, we lead a clean life. We don't mix our life with the impurity of this world. James 1.27 says that a pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
So we don't go according to the ways of the world, but to the ways of God. It means that we live a clean, we live a clean life if we wash our hearts in the blood of Jesus and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah, the prophet, invited all of Israel to do that. Wash your hearts from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will, will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Interesting, the way the prophet Jeremiah expressed it. It's almost like he's talking in, in Christian terms, in Christian times. It means that we live a clean life when we participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That means we live in the love of God and the expression of that love of God. In 1 Peter 1, 22, it's written, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, then fervently love one another from the heart. The way of God is not a way of selfishness, it's a way of love. And that's what he places within us. Romans 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? By the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit within us. We are not capable of that. But God makes himself and his love and his personality and his character not only available in us, but he builds it in us. A pure heart obviously leans to a clean behavior. It leads us to a conduct that is blameless. Now that is a transformation, isn't it? What a difference that, that, that we can see from that pure heart that God is working out in us that we have just seen described by Scripture and the heart that we see in ourselves. You know, wrong motives are very, very insidious. They're very subtle. And we must be vigilant against them to surrender them to Christ. Look at some examples very briefly. Look at employment. Most of us are working. Those who are not wish they were. But guess what? Even if you are not employed, you're still working. You're just not earning money in that sense, but you have a job. And, and we can define that clearly. But are you motivated by lust for money and possessions or by a desire to serve Christ and earn enough to be able to help others who may be in need? You see, the first is a contaminated heart. Contaminated by what? By lust. Contaminated by a worldly desire for money, for possessions, for prestige, or for, for career or importance or things of that nature. But the second one is a heart motivated by a desire to serve Christ through what? Through the occupation that we are engaged in. How can we make somebody's day better through the work that we do? How can we serve Christ in the job that we perform? Look at ministry. Ministry meaning serving, serving the brethren and serving people that we meet outside of the body of Christ even, although you know, they, they potentially are part of the body of Christ. It's just that they don't know. <laughs> so we need to serve them and tell them and let them know that they are included in the body of Christ. Look at ministry. Do we minister to others because it makes us feel good and satisfied? Or so that we can hear people say, well, thank you. You're such a wonderful person. 
thank you. Oh, man, I really, really like what you do. And I really like you because you make me feel good. And so we say, yeah, they like me. How's that for a pure heart? Or do we do that ministry, do we do that service to truly help those in need because we just have some compassion for that toward their need and we just want to help them out a little bit. And once we help them out, we, we leave and we say, Lord, I have done nothing because I've done just a portion of my duty. What, what, what's, the, 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 what's the big deal with that? Remember Matthew 25 when Jesus calls the sheep to himself and says, well, but Lord, what are you talking about? And he says, well, in, when you gave me food and water and you came to visit me and you assisted me and you helped me out, and these people say, Lord, <laughs> I, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, I don't remember, don't recall doing that. And Jesus said, in as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. But that's the motive, you see, to serve God. And to serve others, not for ourselves and what we get out of it, but for them. What about worship? Oh, we come over here on Sunday. Why? Because otherwise God is going to zap us out of existence. Or to test whether the ceiling is going to collapse on us as soon as I walk inside the church. I remember one, one guy came inside here one day and he said, Huh. That's cool. The roof is not falling over. <laughs> and I said, good. Why, you thought you would? And he said, yeah. <laughs> Are we worshiping here as an obligation that must be satisfied? I have to go to church, otherwise I'm going to be somehow punished by God or my conscience is bugging me, so I, since I want to enjoy the rest of Sunday, I might as well just go to church and put, put some peace in there. You know, I've done my duty, and now I can enjoy the real part of Sunday. That's not a pure heart, is it? What about the desire of the heart to honor God, to gather together and praise Him and truly worship Him and learn a little more about Him so that we can be more like Him? What about prayer? Some people pray because they, through prayer they feel better. Sometimes I have people come up and say, well, I'm not sure if my prayer is correct. And they say, okay, what's going on? Well, I pray, but I don't feel better when I pray. So what is prayer? Is it just a psychological exercise so you can feel better having poured out your worries, verbalized your concern? Is that just what it is? Then you might as well talk to the wall or talk to a picture, or, to, or, or go in front of the mirror and talk to yourself and see how you look when you, when you do that too. Or is it prayer a fellowship with God? You see, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? A heart, the motive of a heart, is so insidious, so subtle, but yet the difference is so big, so much. So do we have hope? Well, I want to conclude with that because we do have hope. Remember Psalm 51, where David prays to God after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a set steadfast spirit in me. 
correct this wavering around, correct this distractions that I have in my heart, in my spirit, but give me a steadfast spirit, a spirit that only sees you and wants you as a motive for everything I do. Give me a pure heart, God, because my heart is not pure right now. You know, you and I can pray the same prayer. You and I can ask the same thing from God. Lord, I need a clean heart. I don't just need to clean up my act. I need to clean up my heart. Because if I don't clean up my heart, my actions are going to continue to be as filthy as they were before. But then you may think, still do I have hope? Well, look at this. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us so that we will be called the children of God. Notice that. Wait a second. Wait a second. What does he say? What does he say? See how great the love of God is, the love that God has bestowed upon us, that we will be called the children of God. You are already called the children of God. We are already called the children of God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. God has given to us for free. Freely. We are the children of God. And such we are, he says. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, we are the children of God, and yet it has not appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, we can purify ourselves by doing what? By going along with what God is already performing in us. It's not telling us, purify your heart so you can be a child of God. It's telling us, you are a child of God. Therefore, go along with the work that God is doing in you and be pure just as he is pure. How does he say that we should purify ourselves? Having that hope fixed on God. What hope? That God has started a good work in us and will bring it to completion. Because he says one day we're going to be just like him or similar to him because we're going to see him as he is. That work that God has started in making us his children is not going to be interrupted. But sure, we can make it harder on us by running against that conveyor belt and getting nowhere. Or we can go along with them and make good progress. Finally, 1 Timothy 1.5. Another way we can purify the heart is, please approach the scripture, the written word of God, not as a book for a happy life, but as a letter, a love letter from your creator God that you can use to get to know him. The Bible is given to us so that we can get to know God. So we can understand who he is, as Naomi pointed out before, in such a way that we understand also what he does in us. Because his process is to transform us into the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction. And where do you find that instruction? In Scripture. It's recorded for us, praise God. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart 
and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So it is the work of God in us. And we are already placed on that conveyor belt. And God says, trust me, I'll take you where you need to go. So can we please make a commitment that we stop running against that conveyor belt, trying to go our own way. Running, running, running and getting nowhere. And instead, turn around, go along with them. Ask God on a daily basis, God, I need you to create in me a pure heart today. Lord, please continue that work of transformation you have started in in me. And then we go to his word, the written word that talks about him, that shows his character, shows his purity, that shows his love and his wisdom and his sovereignty and his power and all the other attributes of God. And we get to know him better and better the more we understand about him through that love letter that he wrote to us in this book. And that has the goal of shaping in us a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Let the Holy Spirit write that word in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit develop that. Let your heart be the paper that contains the Word of God. And you will see how the springs of life will really be different. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Lord God, Jesus Christ, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the many, many blessings you bestowed upon upon us. And thank you for that blessing of giving us a pure heart, shaping a pure heart in us, because as you say in your word, then we can see you. We can see you now in faith by understanding you. And we will see you as you are one day, as your apostle Peter wrote. We're looking forward to that so much. But in the meantime, Lord God Almighty, we ask you that you create in us a pure heart, that you shape our motives in such a way that they will be always pure, that you will give us loyalty to you, and that your love in us may work relentlessly to shape us and mold us every day more and more into your own image. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask you to cleanse us in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and for you, Father. And we ask it in your name. Amen.